0: Cause you're incapable Thank you TJ Drennan Spencer, aka Free For All here Welcome to Keep Off The Borderlands Essentially, I'm just going to be responding to some calls and I've had some really informative stuff here as well certainly for me at any rate and I really really appreciate that so without further ado
1: Hey Spencer, Jason here you know if you have to have a dark and gloomy game just play Morkborg that um, Pete reviewed in fact I think you said you bought it, a PDF of it just go with that, that's as dark and gloomy as you can get Death Metal RPG Perfect. Mission accomplished.
0: That was Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast there. And thank you, Jason. It sounds like you've got it all sewn up. And, uh, well, I guess that's the end of the podcast. But hold on, hold on a second. I don't believe I use the words dark and gloomy. Moltberg certainly is that. You know, I'm I'm no death metal or black metal fan. In fact, I don't really know what the distinction is or why I threw that threw that in there. But I really like the design of it. I feel it's very evocative. And the system looks great. I can even envisage using it as a kind of a chaotic realm in a larger setting. But on its own, I don't know, it just... I guess I like my futility to be a bit more of an absurdist nature. You know, I want to die with a wry smile on my face. And my characters. But... I'm glad I picked it up and there's certainly some great little tables in Borg perfect for besmirching any game but thinking about it using the rules of Borg with a setting maybe more like best left buried now that sounds like an idea that might be worth exploring
2: boils and toils Hi, Spencer. A little thought about your tantric approach to GMing a game. I think there's something very commendable to all of that, particularly in terms of holding off which system you want to run. It's very easy to, to run to a system or to uh, commit... To a system. And so, this idea that you have of kind of holding off on that has some virtues to it. Now, of course, the skeptic would just say, just pick a system, have an idea for an adventure, and get on with it. Just do it. And then next time, do a different one. So, that, of course, totally stands. But What came across in your last episode especially, and I've heard you do it many times, and the penny only dropped then, is that it opens up this other kind of thinking, which is, what kinds of games do I want to run? How can I get at that thing? So it's not simply a case of just, uh, you know, popping your load just for the sake of it. There's a a kind of an elegance uh, to the approach shall we say something like that
0: thank you barney barney dicker there of loco ludus podcast and i have to say i feel you're being extremely generous there with your description of my tentative steps towards running a game elegant tantric approach mm. i do feel myself being pulled in that other direction I always seem to have Naive there in my peripheries, batting its lashes, flashing a bit of ankle with the promise of a one-shot quickie in some sordid dungeon just to get a bit of experience under my belt. But um, I really feel that I have to have that passion, that desire to... That's what motivates me. Getting excited about a setting like Bastionland. But thank you, Barney, I've really enjoyed those messages. <laughs> and we'll be hearing a bit more from Barney in a moment.
1: Hey Spencer, it's Learn from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. Gout in doubt oh, you are so funny. You know, I have been thinking a lot about this. I talked on on my husband's podcast, and I think he even mentioned it on mine, that I've been kind of toying with the idea of running a game. And man, I, you know, it's so funny because I don't really have a preference for what I play. I care more about who I'm playing with than what I'm playing. And so when it comes time to pick something, I find myself leaning towards things where I know about the creator and I like them or I appreciate what they're trying to do and the game that I'm looking really closely at once I actually make up my mind I'll talk more about this on my podcast but the the person who wrote it it's an ash can so it's not even fully done and they have a really interesting story so I don't know we'll see hey Spencer earlier and again Hearing you talk about a game that you're really interested in, but you're listening to what other people say about it and it's putting you off running it, that makes me so sad. If you're the GM and something is bothering you, guess what? You get to change the rule. You get to tweak the rule. You get to talk to your group of players and say, what do you think our interpretation of this rule is as a group? I mean, I don't know, maybe that's frowned upon. I often think when I listen to the Anchorites that I am very strongly influenced by the fact that my husband is usually my GM. And my husband is a narrative GM. I mean, he's a person who his interest is in Everybody working together. What a cool thing everybody can make together. And from what I hear from a lot of the guys, I'm not so sure that's their focus. It's more like they have a vision that they want to walk people through. I don't know.
0: Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere there. And thank you very much, Liren. Don't get me wrong. I'm not put off Best Left Buried because other people don't like it. It's more that... It's more like the suggestion is it needs a bit more editing and the rules may not be as clear as they could be. I'm not a great reader, I have to say, and I I really do appreciate clarity and conciseness in a rule book. And it's, you know, the absence of that that puts me off. Well, that's not to say I'm not going to read it because... I still really like the setting that it invokes. Um, Now, what's interesting there, you say Jeff is more of a narrative GM and likes collaborative play, but you feel that a lot of GMs have a particular vision, a particular story that they want to lead the players through. And it strikes me, as funny because a lot of folks would regard a GM that wants to tell a particular type of story as quite a narrative approach to gaming. I think the distinction there is more to do with perhaps collaborative world building versus players exploring the GM's world as the GM envisages it, which I don't think particularly... You know, I think it's quite separate from the GM having a particular type of story that he wants to tell. He's got a particular type of world that the characters are free to explore. And characters do have an impact on that world and how things play out. But solely through character actions rather than through player suggestions. If that makes sense, maybe I'm gone off at a tangent. I'm not sure I really appreciate those calls thank you very much Liren and I've got a little something else for you Liren
2: now Spencer I'm just going to hijack your podcast this is a message for Liren is it really true that you've stopped podcasting if so I say fair enough because there's nothing wrong with being a committed caller It's almost like having your own podcast, right? The thought has crossed my mind. So, um, always the caller, never the host. Mm. Anyway, just in response to Liren, I think that I live in a musical basically every day. I live in some kind of scripted... uh, Uh, scripted world, just for the fun of it. Absolutely just for the fun of it. I'm under no illusions that that is really what's going on. For me, those moments where you, you know, do a funny walk or, you know, you change your gait uh, or even when you whistle a little tune, when you sing a little tune, that is, that's the musical coming in. And all of those synchronistic uh, events that take place um are are this non-existent script happening so i suppose i have i have fun with that all of the time um so if 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 my suggestion means anything Liren, um you might already be doing it uh and if not just go for it uh, most people don't even notice
0: well did i hear right there i've got to say I'm a bit dismayed by the idea that you may be considering not podcasting anymore. But, obviously, Liren, you do what makes sense to you. And if I only get to hear you from you calling in to other shows, then so be it. And, um, Barney, why does it not surprise me in the least that you feel that you are (laughs) living in some kind of musical and what immediately popped into my mind was Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> Not entirely sure why that is, but you talking, walking and squawking with the animals. I can see you there now in a top hat and smoking jacket, tickling the chin of a macaw parrot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and also they had something a little bit of the stranger than fiction going on there. Um for anyone who hasn't seen that film, you might be put off by the fact that Will Farrell's in it. But it's equally possible that you might not be put off by that. But regardless of the casting, that is a film that was much more entertaining than I'd anticipated. Certainly more kaufman than I'd anticipated. And that, for me, is a very good thing. And also what you're saying to me there, Barney albeit vicariously, is that you like to play these little games in your head all the time and I can certainly identify with that and I'm sure Liren indulges in a bit of that too. <laughs> as, for, as for somebody who uh, can barely keep the same gait for more than two steps, I am very glad that I take a somewhat comedic approach to life but even before the imposed funny walking i spent a lot of my life feeling that i was trapped in a norman wisdom film so
3: there's that hey spencer this is many from confessions of a wee timorous bushy um, this is referring to your uh, special something episode, I believe it's called. And in that Jason asks about uh what to do, how to treat hit points when you when your hit dice are sorry, your level is drained by undead. Now, uh possibly no D and D it was um a case of you rolling hit points each time when you attain a level uh, that is rolling all the hit dice uh, from the beginning including the first but um, in AD&D I remember certain character sheets you wrote down the hit points that you had attained for each level what this meant was that if you lost a level those hit points could be exactly deducted Uh, but we didn't do that generally back in the day we were just sort of like you know minus a hit die of hit points and uh, that was that. Anyway. Hey Spencer, this is Minion from Confessions of a Weed to Bushi again. So um, regarding your secrets and keys, um, which I believe you said was from the shadow of yesterday, I did look into uh, the first edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. and Basically what they do is, um, they're not exactly traits or motivations, but more like um, objectives and roleplaying. So you have two kinds of objective. The major objective of the adventure, usually just one, and that's worth 1 to 200 XP. And then you have various minor objectives each worth uh, 30 xp and finally you have role playing which is worth 0 to 50 xps and what happens is for each session there's a a cap recommended of about one to three hundred uh, 150 to 300 xp i believe Okay, will go back to you <clears throat> so to my mind this is the one of the first uh, role-playing games that introduced xp for objectives and role-playing rather than monsters and gold but i may be wrong there and i do recall that after this when the second edition came out that they started to um bring in role play experience points and objectives experience points as well so this could have been like a, a turning point um from uh, the Older f- versions of the game to more kind of like a role playing narrative version of the game, you know, or at least cooked into this one that's cooked into the system. Um, uh, I haven't looked into it more than that, but um, I, it, does that um map to the secrets and keys? Um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, but uh, worth looking into anyway. Talk to you soon, bye bye. It just occurred to me, Spencer, that uh, not everyone might understand um, what kind of game Warhammer Fantasy role-playing is. Um, so just to clarify, uh, Warhammer Fantasy role-play, Wolf Rup, um, uses a uh, career system with advancements. So advancements can be advancements in uh, ability scores or, or it can, can be skills, actual skills. And when you have enough of those ability scores and skills, you can... or you've had enough of those you can switch to a new new career um pretty much uh unlimited Uh, so there you go so the the game is being driven by their motivations i suppose and their uh, goals or ability to achieve goals and then they can develop the character freely not through a level system all right cheers now bye-bye
0: thank you minion for those messages I really appreciate you taking the time to look into that for me. Minion, also known as Rob, from Confessions of a Wee Timorous Beastie and Bushy Sorry. Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy Which is a podcast you should really check out if you're not listening to it. But yeah, thank you. It seems that Secrets and Keys from the shadow of yesterday are certainly analogous or is it analogous never been too sure about that one but yes those ideas of secrets and keys are comparable to objectives and role-playing of warhammer fantasy role-playing enough so that clinton r nixon cites them as inspiring the system so yes certainly fair to suggest that And again, I seem to be presented with something present in OSR. I'm doing air quotes there. Seemingly characteristic of indie gaming, but actually already presented in much earlier games. Now I can hear myself putting a slight spin on that perhaps. So maybe add a pinch of salt to that statement. For taste. (laughs) One of the things I find so great about Electric Bastion Land. Is this wide variety of failed careers. That your adventurer can start out with. Is something that takes me straight back. To when I was first leafing through. That first edition copy of the Warhammer fantasy role playing rules. And discovering that I could have a character. Who began life as a rat catcher. There's a flavour there. There's um, there's something that triggered my imagination. That has never really left me. And has coloured my taste in fantasy ever since I think. And also there another game that doesn't really use levelling up. And XP being spent directly on skills and career progression. So yes, interesting, because I hadn't really made that connection myself. And also, this idea of failed background careers, you could even trace that back to yet another game that doesn't use levelling.
4: Hey Spencer, it's Jay. I'm uh, Just halfway through listening to your episode uh, where Dave called in and talked a lot about growth and development. And I just wanted to comment that that whole motivation for, uh, using debt thing, that absolutely surely has to come from 1977 Traveller, you know, where the adventurers have a starship and a huge, huge mortgage debt and they spend basically the rest of the campaign paying that debt off. The only exception to that is if they're Pretty much a scout, and then they've got it on loan. But the cost of running a starship, man, it's crippling. That is a key motivator alongside the desire to explore the, the worlds. And um, I just think, yeah, there's so many things here that, you know, McDowell has kind of mashed together in his game, of which, uh, by the way, I have no direct knowledge. But I just wanted to say, you know, let's give cre- the credit for debt, perhaps 1977 Traveller. Game on.
0: Jay. Another call from Che there. Must be doing something right. If I've got you calling in Che. Che from Roleplay Rescue there. I didn't realise it was the case in Traveller that characters had to pay off for their starship. That obviously is a great motivator straight off the bat. I mean you could argue that accruing debts is part of old D&D which you know with the cost of adventuring employing hirelings Later owning and maintaining property and stuff like that right up to kind of domain play. But that all strikes me as optional. Debt not necessarily being something that you're presented with from the outset with D and D. But yes, it certainly seems to be there in Traveller. Thinking about what you said there and also bearing in mind your reaction to the use of the term fluff. I brought to mind something else. I've described Electric Bastion Land. As being into the odd. With more fluff. Or perhaps. Flavour. Probably be a preferable term. But that flavour doesn't come. From the setting as such. It's essentially. Baked into those. Hundred or so. Failed careers. The setting itself. Being more. Of a toolkit that facilitates the rules. And I think that's where Chris McDowell's innovation really is. But more on that coming soon to a podcatcher near you. Well that's it from me Thank you so much for those wonderful calls I really do appreciate that Certainly makes putting an episode together Very easy indeed If you would like to leave a message Please click on the anchor link in the description If you'd rather send me an email There's also a link there spencer.freeforall at gmail.com Where you'll also find a link to TJ Drennan's Patreon who's always putting up great little bits of music that will breathe life into any podcast. You can find me on Twitter, MeWe, and Instagram as Free Thrall. And there's also the Keep Off The Borderlands Facebook page. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ.